One of the things that is most important is to prepare yourself for a huge amount of rejection. If you listen to the market and what it seems like it's like, it looks like it's sunshine and lollipops and you're constantly winning awards and your customers love you. But when you're on the inside, it feels like everything could implode at any moment. Welcome to The Insiders, a podcast on the latest advancements, challenges, and successes in innovation and technology. With industry leaders sharing their personal stories, we humanize the world of innovation and inspire listeners to push their boundaries and celebrate real humans shaping our collective future. Welcome to a very special episode of KPMG Podbytes, powered by KPMG Ignition. My name is Mark Lowe. I'm the head of KPMG Ignition here in Vancouver, and I've got two great guests with me today. So to my uh, immediate left, Anna Sainsbury, CEO of GeoComply, and Tomica Divic, who is the VP of Operations for Innovate BC, uh, who we've had the great pleasure of um, doing some interesting research with. Um, so very great uh, conversation that we're going to have, uh, have today, and thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Great. Um, okay, let's maybe just um, rewind the clock a little bit and set the stage for the listeners. So a few weeks ago, we had a unicorn panel here at KPMG, co-hosted uh, co with Innovate BC, and we got the opportunity to hear from Anna and some of her fellow unicorns about some of the challenges and opportunities around scaling a company in BC. Uh, so that's the conversation for today. We wanted to dive into some of the learnings from the research that Innovate BC has done, and obviously hear from Anna, who's in the trenches, um, <laughs> grinding it out. So maybe, Tamita, let's start with you. Just let's start why and we can start to narrow in. So just based on the research that you've done at Innovate BC, maybe give the listeners a sense of some of the opportunities that you see and some of the challenges that you've uh, you kind of dived in with some of the founders that you were um, you were doing that research with. And, and just give us a sense of you know what the what the landscape's like for uh, aspiring unicorns here in BC. Absolutely, it was actually a really exciting study for us to do. Um, the way that it came about is we noticed, I'm sure as many others did, that in the past couple of years there was a surge of uh, unicorns popping up in in BC. So we decided to do a little bit of digging to find out what was behind that. And I think to no one's surprise, we learned that it's not an overnight success story, that uh, most unicorns are at least 10 years in the making. Um, and there are some outliers on either side of that. Some had a shorter uh, time frame, some much longer. But on average, we're looking at around 10 to 12 years to achieving that status. Some interesting stats that seemed really unusual for us is that around 75% of the unicorns were founder-led when they reached that status. And that's not something that we've typically seen as, as a trend. So that was quite interesting and I think unique to, to the companies in BC. And close to 80% of them did access some type of government support, which as somebody who's in that role of government trying to help um, entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses, it was actually really great to see that they are accessing that support, but we still have a long way to go. And um, a lot of the, some of the challenges that came up in those conversations were around finding the right balance between developing your product and your sales team. Um, and Anne, I'm sure you have some great experiences around that. Um, talent, right? Hiring the right people and cash flow, making sure that you have enough um, money in the bank to um, withstand the kind of um, bumpy economic time. So those were some of the, the learnings that we took away as well. Fantastic. Now you were doing that research kind of in the tail end of COVID yes. and how the world was like turned upside down. Um, 
have you seen a shift now kind of post pandemic as we're coming out of this and uh, and you know things are resetting obviously different challenges on the horizon now but do you see that trend continuing is it going to evolve and change? We certainly hope so, because I think the, the seeds have been planted a while ago. So we're not, again, just looking at the last year or two. I think there's a, a lot of companies that have been at it for at least the past decade that have been just slowly you know, chipping away at it and growing their business. So we certainly hope that that trend will continue, um, but also know that there's different challenges right now. So um, it'll it, it's a difficult thing to be an entrepreneur in general, to be growing at a time where uh, things seem to be really challenging economically as well as is difficult, but there's um, some people are gonna be in the right place at the right time and then have been putting the conditions in place to, to really grow and scale and be successful. So I, I do think we'll see more. You touched on something really interesting there. You, you mentioned this idea of, of talent. It's always a challenge. I mean, in every market, right? Uh, finding great talent is difficult. But um, in BC specifically, are there are there different challenges here that the companies are experiencing, or is it is it just the same thing of just trying to find good people locally? How, how are people? How are companies um, thinking about that? Addressing that challenge. I certainly think things have changed with um, the way that working remotely has opened up, I think, more options. So I think even within BC, there's more opportunities for people to access um, jobs that maybe they wouldn't have normally by having to relocate to a bigger city. Um, and we're certainly seeing more interest in um, diversifying the tech sector. So how can we tap into people that have typically been underrepresented in the tech sector um, and getting them more engaged. And a lot of that work is being done through different government programs and, and grants to, to help companies hire and train talent. Um, so I, I do think that the challenge of attracting talent is, is still um, can be a challenge. I think on the leadership side, too, as you're growing and scaling companies, we have a pretty young ecosystem still. So finding those leaders who actually know how to grow and scale large businesses is um, is a challenge. But I think we have a great talent pool in in BC to, to pull from and people are definitely being creative about how to access that. I think it's very timely that you you talk about balancing building products versus building sales and marketing teams. And I think what we're seeing in the tech sector at the moment is that a lot of technology is innovating one idea or trying mm -hmm. to transform one concept. Um, but the product is relatively simple or might just solve one problem that operators have hundreds of problems. I mean, all businesses have hundreds of obstacles in their ways to success. And um, what I found at GeoComply, and for me, I've only had one unicorn, um, so I, I can only refer to only my- one? <laughs> Only one, so far. <laughs> I'm still young, you see. Um, but you know, our experience has been to be product-led and like customer-focused. So like building products for our customers' problems today. And just 18 months from where they are at the moment. And so the amount of uh, requirement that you, or the hardship that you put on the sales and marketing team becomes very little, which I think ultimately allowed us to become profitable much quicker because we weren't spending so much money trying to convince people that this is a problem. Yeah. That the problem already existed, everyone in the market knew about it, and we could come in and say, hey, here's a solution. So we're not actually marketing a problem to then market a solution, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that that has been very helpful for our success. But on the talent side, the other thing that I'm seeing that's very interesting in the market at the moment, especially with this 
I don't know if it's still a pending recession or we've all decided we're in it, but wherever we well, are with this potential recession or companies essentially scaling down um, some of their teams and some of their spend, uh, there is a lot of people in the tech sector that have experience but don't actually have experience building and selling products mm -hmm. at profitability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that That's... is really hard because we essentially have 10 years of growth in tech without really sustainable growth in tech. Mm -hmm. If investors are wanting to come in and buy in companies that have a strong EBITDA margin or at least a path to profitability within a short time range. And I think that that makes it hard for startups these days where so much of the conversation has been have an idea, find an investor. We have, you know, A through Z in terms of rounds and everyone's counting their letters. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of a, a different market that we're going into. And there's not a lot of people that have experience in how to master that. Yeah. Can we, can we jump into one topic? There's lots, lots of great nuggets in there. <laughs> but one of the things that was really interesting was this idea of uh, in companies that are innovating, the tension between product and sales, mm. right? And you touched on it right there, which I think is a, a really interesting thing to double click on. So. Um, you know, the one point of view is you got to listen to your sales team because they're the ones that are at the like at the market coal face mm. and they're giving you the intel in terms of what customers are, you know, are doing and are wanting. And that is, you know, sort of pulling the product forward in that way versus having that a strong vision of what that product needs to do. And it it's, uh, strikes me that it would be uh, challenging to have that market view of where you need to be in 18, 24 months mm -hmm. and the trust to build your product in order to see that there's going to be market for what you're building. How do you how do you manage that balance? So I look at it differently. I look at, at as an entrepreneur, I am both product and I represent the customer. And so I don't look at it as sales. I look at it as like customer or account management. Right. And knowing the market is my responsibility. And and I think that that's sometimes where as a founder it can be hard to attract executive mm -hmm. talent because they're like, you are in the weeds, like you're making every decision. And I look at it like, these are all the things I need to be aware of to make good product decisions, to have good conversations with our customers. If I'm doing it via survey and like some analysts looking at a market on a spreadsheet, right. I'm not going to build the right solutions knowing where their teams are at and like what their headcount is and how disruptive this is going to be in their day to day. And so um, for me, I like to see myself as like head of like all of our key customers and any new markets that I want to go into and then making sure that the product roadmap matches that perfectly. But I'm a pretty hands on person myself. Um, I personally wouldn't I only have three people in sales in my company, so uh, I wouldn't depend on them. Of course, I want to hear their ideas or if they've discovered something that could be an interesting feature. But ultimately, I'm only building products for the customers that I have or for the ones that I've targeted. Right. And so that the solutions really resonate with what they need today. As Well, this is actually a good question for both of you. As you think about the sort of changing economic dynamics, you referenced a little bit earlier, the idea of, uh, you know, you you've, sounds like you've built your company in a very intentional kind of a way, which is mm. um, solving that problem first and therefore maybe maybe um, less at play with some of the economic dynamics, but things are shifting. So how how are companies reacting in this new environment? You, might, you referenced funding a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, these are all you know 
everything's changing very, very quickly, almost shifting underneath our feet. Luckily, I would say entrepreneurs are probably best equipped to deal with this because that's the world that you're in, right? Mm -hmm. Things are changing all the time. Markets are changing all the time. Um, I think it'll build resilience. Um, and that's something that I think is important for businesses. And, you know, when you go through a couple of these um, challenges, you really learn to see what are the things you need to focus on as your business to make sure it's sustainable and it can grow. So um, I think that'll... Um, Definitely seeing a, a lot of discussion around that, um, but f funding again is something that is also top of mind with with companies. Um, you need to have a good um, finances in place to have the proper runway to build your product and, and grow your team. But we also can't lose sight of the customer because that's I think going back to what you were talking about of being customer centric. At the end of the day, you can that that's you're looking at selling to customers. That's why you have this business. Mm -hmm. So how can you continue those conversations to make sure that um, you are creating solutions for their pain points? Exactly. I mean, uh, just to sort of elaborate on on what's happening from, from our point of view with whatever we're calling this potential recession, um, it's that we're trying to make sure that a lot of our customers that are mature, they're publicly traded, and they are now being pushed on the public markets to ensure a path to profitability. Yeah. And so our biggest focus has to be with each of our integrations, how much more can we automate? How much more can we reduce as they grow their need to double headcount? And I think that, you know, as we integrate further and, and penetrate more of their different teams from fraud to compliance to product and operations to marketing, we need to be assessing that. Like, what is our impact on our customers? Not just at solving their problems, but like there's always a cost to even solving your problem, right? Yeah. Like how many people does it take to operationalize it? And now I feel like what's so great as an entrepreneur and I mean, someone that my math skills are one plus one equals two, mm -hmm. where Two years ago in high growth, it was like one plus one could equal a thousand, depending on right. what your TAM was. And that is a little bit confusing because just because there is a, a potential TAM there, it doesn't mean you're going to acquire that. So um, I think that it's it's easier to actually have better conversations. There's less distraction. The market is honest. And we're like building systems and solutions that matter right now. And uh, And so for us and for my team, I think it's like, perfect time to like really resonate with our customers and like refine those integrations to get to a better spot. And I think it's going to be great for the tech industry overall. There's a quote from, I think it was Warren Buffett that says, um, be um, fearful when others are greedy and be bold when others are fearful. And yeah, this is a great time to actually be bold and to, to look at what are the opportunities for your business. Exactly. Agreed. You touched on a topic there around this idea of automation. That's core to your business, I know. But mm -hmm. um, just broadly speaking, like we were referencing just in the in the preparation for the chat today, you know, chat GPT is on the tip of everyone's tongue and, yeah. um, you know, AI and automation. Um, to me, is that something that's that's like especially topical locally in BC for Absolutely. Founders. It's like every day we're hearing of a new application for it that we didn't think it could do. So I think it's definitely topical and it's something that everybody should be thinking about and looking at is um, artificial intelligence and automation. Um, I've certainly never seen people be less busy, even with increases in productivity. So I think just expectations will change. And the importance of digital skills is going to increase across all functions of a business. Um, as we were chatting earlier, there isn't a single aspect of a business, whether it's like finance or strategy and planning, uh, sales and marketing, mm. product development, all of these um, important functions are increasingly um, 
they, they continue to change and evolve and the the increased need to have you know digital skills be embedded into all these functions is really important. So um, I think it's important to develop those skills and create opportunities for everybody, and uh, especially those have have typically not engaged in the tech sector to get access to opportunities to develop those skills and upskill and um, be included in these growing industries. I can say what what we're seeing from from our side, and I think it's applicable to anyone that works in a highly regulated market or cybersecurity, is that Anytime you have a technology and there is a manual requirement for someone to do hands-on analysis Mm -hmm. um, or pull reports and analyze them, you have a potential security risk Mm -hmm. or a violation. And and at this point in time, we have to work together to streamline any manual process that is integrated. And so and that just requires technology to be smarter. And it's it's where we need to get to so that people's personally identifiable information is less likely to be leaked. Right. Um, and it's it's important to focus on. But I mean, sometimes a lot of the, the AI technology that I hear about is also on making experiences frictionless. I mean, there's nothing worse than buying like a, a flight online and then you have a hiccup and you got to call some call center and they don't know your problem. You're like, can't I just chat with a bot that's going to fix this problem? I, I bought the ticket online. I, I want to have a technical experience in solving my challenges as well. And so I think it's also like driven by what consumers want. And if we can, if we can focus on usability, which I think is something that tech hasn't focused on because we all being in high growth, we're like, just take every opportunity and right. first mover advantage is like what everybody wanted. Um, but now we can actually like focus on making things better for the end consumer as well. Radical concept. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Consumers matter too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> What's the thing that people misunderstand about scaling a company to that size? Is there anything that like jumps out of you? I mean, I, I think that I think that the general assumption being an outsider looking in at a company once it's sort of more successful is that a lot of the people that join it when things look like they're smooth, they don't really get the like founders paranoid mentality of like, you just got to do whatever it takes and you got to catch as many balls as possible and score a home run. Right. And, and that sometimes I think what I see, um, people that especially have been working for larger organizations is that there's lots of specialists but ultimately i think you know when you're when you're scaling the best thing to do is to have as many people in your organization that understand what all the other teams are doing right and that those people from a geo-comply point of view, have been ones that have worked customer service. They have been account managers. They've talked to regulators. They've had product ideas or had some input into innovating technology. And that becomes like the most beneficial part to like really building a sustainable business. Is that something that you look for when you're hiring somebody? Is like what are, what are some yes. of those characteristics that you're looking for beyond this the hard skills that you know Tamitz has referenced around you know developer talent or whatever. What are the things, those characteristics? So, you know, sometimes you have to watch uh, like what you, who you personally like to work with because it's right. easy to have conversations. And, and I have to watch that because that can be easy. You know, my, my preference is people that are very organized. I love a strong communicator. Um, I also enjoy someone that, that has a lot of market knowledge. It's easy for me to, to communicate with those people, but sometimes that's not always what you need, right? You, you, you need some, some different types, but I think ultimately people that are scrappy and resourceful Mm -hmm. and have a lot of grit, 
that is always going to resonate quite well within our organization. Uh, I like someone with with hustle that that you know follows that 80/20 principle and make sure that they can accept getting getting some place that is good enough, still a high quality of excellence and delivering value, um, but not spending too much time on the things that don't matter. And uh, and then you know someone now we're looking for people that have been there, done that. People that have worked in organizations that have constantly delivered better and better results and innovated product after product after product to become a category leader. And so it's easy to do it once. Well, we have done it once. <laughs> now we need to do it 10, 20 more times, right, yep. to have ongoing success. And so that that's our main goal at this point. I actually love how you just described those um, skills because when we look at also just trying to diversify the tech sector in the way that certain jobs were uh, described before and who they're attracting, I think that's such a great way to actually attract a diverse set of applicants is mm -hmm. when you talk about things like grit and um, problem solving mm -hmm. and all the things that you just mentioned. It's it's really great to hear that. Yeah, Great. Yeah. I mean, the talent can come from anywhere. I mean, yeah. I studied interior design. I'm not a that's qualified cool. engineer. Right. That's really <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. You're running this big organization, offices all over the place. What's the thing that you personally are not very good at? How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am uh, a terrible writer, okay. unfortunately for me. It's, it's a shame. I have so much admiration for people that are excellent writers. I, I have dyslexia and I know that now, so that is working against me. Um, but that is challenging because there is a requirement to communicate both on video or uh, it, through conversation, but also now we're a larger company, I need to communicate in writing. Um, and so I have to have someone with me that, that helps me with that. Um, and I would say that, that that's one of my, my biggest blockers. The, the next thing is being very disciplined at what the focus is. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes there's that balance between knowing what your vision is and where you're going, but recognizing that life hits you sideways right. and frequently a lot of great opportunities are gonna come from the side. And you have to know which ones are a distraction and which ones are worth grabbing. And you know, I, I definitely see it as like, of course you need the right talent, you do need to have the expertise, but there's, there's some luck in there. And, and I think that, that making sure that uh, I can stay open-minded and not too focused on the vision, but also on my surroundings is, is something that I need to be consistently aware of. Interesting. What's next for GeoComply? What's the, what's the next amazing thing we're going to read about in the news? I mean, our, our goal is to have a, a large impact on the cost of fraud on society within a short amount of time. And I mean, what I see by that is that Regulators, especially in the U.S. last year, increased fines on fin crime by 50%. And I think that that indicates to us, one, is that we know financial services organizations don't want to be getting in trouble. They don't want $50 million fines, right. which several, several came out at $50 million. They don't want that press. Consumers, they want to be able to trust who they're doing business with. And financial regulators would prefer for people to follow a process and, and to have a reduction of fin crime. So I look at this as like a market that needs something. I know there's a lot of players in the space and it's, a, it's an expensive space to enter the fintech market, um, but there aren't a lot that are focused on solving the problem end to end, right. that are looking at what is the consumer problem? What is the cost of fraud on society? 
what do regulators want, and then how can we actually integrate with the fintechs to deliver better solutions? And I think what we've learned from the gaming space is taking accountability end to end is what we're good at. Right. We don't want to just be one piece of a puzzle. We want to really understand what the problem is and and own that for our customers because that gives us the most amount of customer insight. And so that's the market that that we believe is our next big target market and, and a market we can make a pretty positive impact in. Well, we're all going to be cheering you from the sidelines. Thank you. Um, we're at time. So just, um, just to wrap up, uh, what's the one question you both wish I would have asked? <laughs> When's your next vacation? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think I think that the question that is important to ask, because I, I think your, your audience are very much entrepreneurs and, and people that want to have a, a unicorn. And um, one of the things that is most important is to prepare yourself for a huge amount of rejection. Hmm. If you listen to the market and what it seems like it's like it looks like it's sunshine and lollipops and you're constantly winning awards and your customers love you but when you're on the inside it feels like everything could implode at any moment right and that you're you heightened senses for everything and even when you're seemingly on top of your game your aspirations are always going to be much further ahead of where you are and so i think there has to be a to maintain some type of mental health and sanity there mm -hmm. has to be an acceptance of what you can control get used to and start loving rejection and the feeling that you're never going to feel like you're in the place that you want to be. Right. Because if you're growing a business and you're in hyper growth, you're always forward thinking. And so it's hard to take the time to celebrate. It's very important to like have the rigorous uh, religion of celebrating your, right. your wins, but being able to, to make sure that you can sit in that discomfort and that awkward feeling of missed expectations because okay. it never feels like success. I don't mean the like financial wins, but just the, you always want more. You want your customers to like you more. You want more right. of your products, right? They're your babies. You want them integrated everywhere and you want everyone to hear your message and that's just never gonna happen. So right. you gotta get used to it. Love it. That's awesome. And I think no matter what kind of uh, stats or insights um, I can provide hearing what it's like on the actual ground, building a, a company and dealing with the, you know, the mental health aspect of it, of, of uh, growing a business and being an entrepreneur can be so challenging. So keeping your advice, I think, is spot on. And from my perspective, I would also say always just listen to the market. I think people, um, we have such amazing talent here. No shortage, I think, of innovation and innovative ideas um, looking to solve real world problems and problems that um, the market has and wants to to pay for so that you have a business is uh, really important because you know you can fall in love with your idea and, and your baby but um, I think what you just uh, shared about you know taking in that rejection and actually listening to the market mm -hmm. um, will help you grow your business well this has been such a great uh, half hour with both of you so thank you very much for spending the time and uh, this has been Mark Lowe for KPMG Ignition Pod Bites. we'll see you next time <laughs>